The world isn't simple anymore. And on the Walden Pond podcast, your host, anti-fraud expert Vince Walden, is talking to experts about the technology and compliance trends you need to know about to keep your compliance and fraud detection programs relevant. If you're looking for insights that are practical, timely, and innovative, welcome to The Pond. Well, welcome to The Pond. I'm your host, Vincent Walden, part of the Tom Fox Compliance Podcast Network. Today, I'm with my friend, Peter Grossman, who's co-founder of Labyrinth Training. Labyrinth is a leading compliance, innovation, and training company that's really redefining how compliance training and code of conduct training is delivered to employees. I think you're going to really like some of the ideas and things that he's implementing. So welcome, Peter. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Vince. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Um, well, before we start, as you know, I like to start off with a quote from our mascot, Henry David Thoreau. And because today's topic is on training, I found this very applicable quote, not from Walden itself, but from a journal that Thoreau wrote on December 31st, 1859. And it reads like this. He said, how vain is it to teach youth or anybody truths? They can only learn them after their own fashion and when they are ready. So what do you think about that in the context of training? Well, I mean, the thing I like about it the most is that it sort of acknowledges one of the things that I think can be really difficult for people in the role of having to train people to acknowledge, which is that this isn't up to you. You don't have a say in your audience's attention span, in their language, and you don't get to pick that you have to adjust to your audience. So I really like the idea that it sort of admits the ceiling. It admits yeah. that, hey, you, you can only do so much, but it also sort of hints at the idea of how, you know, you can successfully communicate with people. And it, the idea of having people experience something for themselves, you know, when you're dealing with training, obviously you're, you're doing something with the idea of ahead of someone going out into the world, but putting them in scenarios where they can think about what the decisions would be is about as close as you can get to what he's saying without just throwing people out into the world completely untrained. Right. They'll, they'll only be trained when they are ready or if they're interested is what I gathered out of it. And that, that's so true. So, so that, let's talk about Labyrinth then. Again, for background on the audience, who's our legal and compliance professionals and anti-fraud professionals out there, tell us about your background and how you got into compliance training and how you've worked with companies and their programs, or you've worked with you know, such companies as AB InBev and UNICEF and World Economic Forum. I mean, it's really taken off this new approach. So how'd you get there? And what's your background? So uh, my partner, Scott, and I are very much not lawyers. We come from a background of entertainment, journalism, production, that kind of stuff. And a few years ago, we're off on our own with a production company working with the types of clients that matched our background. We both worked for Rolling Stone for many years. Scott worked for HBO, I worked for the Tabloid Us Weekly, and those are the types of clients that we worked for because we were used to sort of building digital products and around you know, those types of, that type of subject matter. But I am uh, good friends with Matt Galvin, the VP of Ethics and Compliance at AB InBev, and he and I were speaking one day at a Little League game, we were co-coaches together, and he asked me if we could make a compliance training that his employees would actually pay attention to. And I am... <laughs> yeah. Immediately said yes. I had no idea what a compliance training was, but I knew that we were good at getting people to pay attention to things. And so away we went. He asked us to make an anti-corruption training. And so, you know, we started, as we always do, with their policy. 
and kind of look through, okay, this is, this is the kind of stuff that they're trying to teach, but quickly realized it wasn't enough to just, you know, they're showing us the PowerPoint presentations, those type of things that they're using to train in the past, that it wasn't enough to see what the policy was. You know, everyone has a policy that says don't take bribes. That's not hard. What I wanted to know is how they experience this in the world, out in the field. You know, what are the types of bribery concerns they need to look out for? And so from that, we sort of hit upon very early that storytelling had to be a huge component in this in order for it to work. And so we got this great story from Matt about a time that they were offered sacred cows for slaughter, for a a ritual. (laughs) The locals were the end, and we kind of ran with that. And so, you know, I don't want to ruin it for anyone who will see it in the future, but they appear in that first episode very prominently. And the way that we handled that situation sort of defined how we move forward. The idea of the importance of storytelling and maybe not having the easiest path through a training. And you think about that importance of storytelling and engaging and what makes it unique. When you think about traditional kind of situational or scenario-based training, what's different about your model than what I would expect with like a normal human recording or video? Sure. First thing I would say is that they're animated. Not that there isn't other animated material out there, but We use animation for a few different reasons, but I'll get to that in a second. The other things that I think that make it different is, you know, when we sit with a client to go through something that we're making for them, we have that sacred cow story experience every time. I want to hear how you guys mess this up. How does your staff deal with this? And so we build things that are custom for clients that are actually going to reflect the universe that they're employing. Right. Uh, And so it's one thing to say you're approached by a government official who was asking for a bribe? What do you do? Like, that's an easy question. That's pretty generic. <laughs> and it doesn't help anybody. Then they know, they're looking at, at it and they say, oh, this wasn't made for me. This is, there was no effort put into this. And right. the audience then puts as much effort back into it. And so I think the importance of memorable storytelling, we have this fun narrator that is this sort of talking, vibrating sound wave that serves as the conscience of everything and the, the narrator that walks you through it. And a handful of recurring characters that I think people get used to and kind of enjoy. And so it sticks. Yeah, that's it. You know, when I think about that voice that you have, it reminds me of exactly like the Hell 9000 in <laughs> Space Odyssey, of just like this omnipotent voice of wisdom that's making it practical. I'll tell you the secret, Vince. The secret is it's actually, it's my reading to children voice. I didn't know that at first, but my wife actually figured it out one day when I, I was, she came in and I was reading a night story, a bedtime story to our toddler. And she's like, oh, it's stories from the sound wave. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it oh is. That's, oh my God. Yeah, most of the time it's your voice, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, you want to be calming and reassuring. You want to be positive. The employee that's taking it is often a character and they're never the villain themselves because we don't portray people, you know, it's not as simple as the good guys and the bad guys. You know, we understand that Everyone that's taking this wants to do the right thing. It's just putting them in positions to succeed, right? And so the, the way you do that is, is you, you know, you get stories across them, excuse me, these policies across to them through, through the story. Then it sticks in their brain. You know, the, anyone who's talked to me about this is going to quote the Stanford study that was done where they gave two different groups of grad students the same 12 cards with 10 words apiece on them. So you had to memorize 120 words. And the first group just uses rote memorization. They have to stare at them, do their best to remember. The second group was given the same amount of time, but was told to construct little mini narratives around each card. And 
when the results came back, the ones who used the narrative remembered 93% of the words, whereas the ones who only used rote memorization used only remembered 13% of the words. What, 13? Yeah, and that kind of difference, a 700% difference makes you realize, like, that's the way the mind works. That's yes. the way yeah. information. We retain it by attaching, attaching what we know to things that we can relate to, to stories that we understand. Yeah. Once you kind of understand that, you realize that you just can't do it any other way unless you don't have any concern about whether or not people are going to remember. Yeah, that, that's how you make it sticky. The old saying of facts tell and stories sell is what works. And you need, so, you need both, right? You need both. You need both. Facts. You need to work in the facts around a story, though, that's interesting. And, and that's, yeah. that's yeah, and we're not policy writers. You know, we don't we've I've never written a compliance policy, nor will I ever write a compliance policy. That's the textbook. That's what you guys do, right? You guys yeah. write And right. you're just the teacher, like the cool professor that you had in school that takes the textbook and says, all right, this is the information we're going to have explain it to you in a way that you're actually going to remember. And he has the cool stories. And you remember that class and you love that class. It didn't matter if it was going to be your favorite class coming in. It's the professor that made it fun and interesting. And it's never the professor that just reads it out of the textbook, right? No one remembers that professor. They remember the ones that engage them. Of course, of course. Well, Professor, what topics do you typically address? I know we talked about anti-corruption, but in terms of what you've built out, what are the types of categories that you're building out for compliance officers? So we've done all of the regular run-of-the-mill. You know, we've done conflict of interest and data privacy and antitrust. We built a sexual harassment, anti-harassment package two-part package around anti-harassment and bystander training. We've done sort of the typical traditional compliance. I think the stuff that we've done that I'm sort of turns me on the most above and beyond that is we did a human rights training that sort of dealt with debt bondage that is initially for ABI in conjunction with some help from the World Economic Forum and the IOE. And so when you work on something like that, I mean, I was completely ignorant to that. You know, I didn't know what debt bondage was or how it worked or and so to be educated on it and then also to be able to make something in our style that was still, you know, applicable and sort of honest to the subject was incredible. And so yeah, that is cool. Those are the kinds of moments where you go like, wow, people are going to see this and, you know, actually learn something that will make a difference. It feels really good to do that. It's all fun. But when you get to reach out a little bit beyond that, we made a, a masks training, like, you know, the importance of wearing a mask. They had a little jingle in it recently. And like that stuff's really fun for me because we get to sort of stretch our legs a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was going to comment. You and Covington and Burling did that joint kind of public service on how to put on a mask. And, and frankly, I was kind of like disappointed to know that CDC recommends that you have to wash the mask every time you go out with it. Frankly, I'm not doing that. That's a little bit overkill. That's what they recommend. But I didn't hear that until I saw your public service announcement. You learn a lot narrating things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware of so many more things than I used to be aware of now. That's right. Well, one of the fun things was I love the training videos that I've seen of yours that there's no correct answer. And for my compliance officers and you know, for the compliance folks out there, think about these scenarios in terms of making it stick where they have to choose A or B and both are wrong. Both basically get you in trouble because in many cases, these situations are complex. And the message there is it all leads back to compliance, consult, consult, consult. And can you describe those scenarios that you built out that's really been engaging in that like no correct answer scenario? Sure. This was the one, I think, argument I really had with Matt when we were, uh, when we were first building out the ABI stuff is that I realized pretty early in the process with certain topics that the message is 
If you're trying to send a message, for example, in the anti-corruption episode, if you're trying to send a message that there's a good path, a bad path, you're not teaching the right lesson. That's just not the case. There is no magic path that your employees can walk where they won't encounter threats of corruption. It's just part of doing the certain types of business. Right. What you want to teach them is that there are issues down what seem like all sides. And so we built one of you know the scenarios in that first in that first episode, the anti-corruption episode, where the answers all lead you, like you say, to, to different types of trouble. It's really more of a personality test than anything. Would you take the meeting with the governor or would you not? It doesn't matter. Either way, there's trouble. And we want to teach you the trouble that is waiting for you down both paths. So you always see what happens if you had chosen the other answer as well. But the idea is to say, what we're teaching you here is not how to walk a perfect path. What we're teaching you here is that there's danger down multiple paths and you're going to have to deal with it in different ways. And the one answer that we will never, ever, ever have available to the user in our trainings is call compliance, right? Because then people, you lose the engagement. You know, you, you build up this idea with all this storytelling of, you know, a chief trying to sell you cows or a crooked governor that wants to take a meeting with you. And then all of a sudden you offer the obvious answer, you sort of ruin the, the moment. And so we want to keep people engaged, not just because they saw a cool story and they got to click on buttons and things, but also when it gets to the point where they're actually asked to think, we want them to think critically. We want them to be engaged in it and go, huh, what would I do in this situation? Because there isn't an obvious answer. And people want to get the right answer. And what was engaging to me when I did the course was I was mad because I didn't choose the right answer, but there is no right answer. And again, like me, I want to get an, I want to get an A. And I couldn't for your training. And it made me mad, which was what made me remember it. Well, I certainly don't want you to have the experience of being mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it is a typical lawyerly experience to be frustrated by there not being an automatic right answer. And the right answer is given. You know, you go down one path, you say, nope, this was the trouble that was waiting for you here. Then you're told, no, don't worry, there was trouble down that other path too. And then you get the right answer. It's just that you don't have the experience of getting to select it at first because we want to keep you focused on the fact that there's trouble down both paths. Now, that being said, we don't do that always. For example, when we built our harassment bystander training, in that training, the message is just do something. Anything that you do in that situation is positive. It's standing by that's the problem. And so when we built that training out, there are a lot of A-B choice points, but all of the answers are right. Because we want people to have the experience of, oh, oh. I did something. Oh, that's good. You're constantly yeah. positive reinforcement. So when you're faced with the issue of you've just witnessed harassment, do you tell a supervisor or do you try and break up the situation? Well, you have to do both of those things. And it doesn't matter if you break the situation up, the sound wave comes in and tells you good job and says, hey, let's go report that. And then you go and report it. And the supervisor says, hey, thanks for telling me. But if you go to the supervisor first, she'll say, great job coming to tell me, I'll report it. Now make sure you get over there and break that up. The answers don't have to always all be wrong and they don't have to always be right. Sometimes there is evidence. We'll allow for that. It's just the object of the exercise is to keep people engaged, the intention on something. You know, I, I can't really even understand sort of the, the counter argument. I think about it in my own life. Like if I'm going to the, to the kitchen and I'm staring at my phone, looking at my Twitter feed, and my wife asks me to bring her a glass of water, like there's a very low likelihood that I'm going to have hurt her. <laughs> the task is just not going to get accomplished. It's not a complicated request. It's not a matter of how she asks it. But I'm only going to get it if I'm paying attention, if I'm listening. Now, now imagine if she's 
asks for tea with honey but no milk and the double dark chocolate Milanos and some ice cream. Like, no, I'm really not going to get that. And that's what you're trying to get people to take in is not a complex order, but a few things. And if they're not paying attention, and to be clear, and me reading my Twitter feed scenario, that's on me. But yeah. if you don't have people engaged, they're not going to remember anything. And if you do, you'll be shocked at how much they can take in and will. It just sticks. Yeah. Well, and again, in that sacred cow scenario, that became a mascot for Imbev. And people were even making T-shirts around them to save the cow. And, and you know, that's the ultimate kind of when a compliance message becomes kind of a battle cry for awareness. And, you know, that's a successful scenario. So definitely one of the one of the coolest moments of professional moments I've ever had is walking into into their offices and just seeing people walking around with a T-shirt that says save the cows. And you're just like, wow, that that's like the closest I'm ever going to be to be yeah. a rock star. Like someone's wearing our T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> And you're not even at Chick-fil-A, you're at a beer company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, what does that have to do with any corruption? It's like, well, nothing, but also now for them, everything. You're yeah, because you'd explain it. You're not going to get your general staff to remember every like, fine point of the FCPA. That, that shouldn't be the goal. But they will remember the cows. And so they'll remember that scenario and they'll remember how they felt in that moment, what they were supposed to do, what they weren't supposed to do, most importantly it teaches that kind of necessary, what I like to call corporate mindfulness. Just like, hey, you know, being a go-getter isn't everything. It's great. It's great to have ambition, but it's equally important to stop and think. So I would argue more important to stop and think. And I think that some people, they have the idea that if they don't make the decision, then they're not decisive, then they're weak, and somehow that's not someone that's going to get promoted, or et cetera. And, and really, it's the thoughtful, mindful people that you want out in the field and dealing with things. And so, you know, that's part of what we're trying to teach is the idea of take a minute, think about, you don't, don't just react and you don't, you're not in this by yourself. You know, there are people that you should be calling here. You don't have to just jump. You know, if, if you buy the cows, you don't buy the cows. Either one's a problem. What you were supposed to do is stop and think. Stop and think and call compliance. <laughs> well, listen, we've got time for one last question, a quick question. But as you think about compliance professionals out there listening to this, and again, I've talked to many of them, and they're really, as they think about 2021 in the current COVID, or hopefully it'll be post-COVID come 2021, but for sure, remote work environments have changed things. What kind of training and communication messaging should they be thinking about as they go into the new year? Well, I'll be showing my underbelly here, but I think that the answer has got to be empathy this sucks, right? This is also, let's not pretend that it doesn't. And things just aren't going to run as smoothly right now. And I'm not talking about not being your absolute best in a meeting. I'm talking about, you know, you're not going to make the meeting sometimes because your kid is melting down because they can't learn long division. And now you're their teacher too. And so that's not, you know, that's the reality. And I think the message has to be like, take care of that and have room to take care of that. We did it. It's not just for parents. You know, we did it with putting out a flexible work arrangements, sort of family-friendly policies training with UNICEF that'll be forward-facing in the coming weeks that talks specifically about this. But it's not just, you know, parents. It's everyone who's social, you know, socially isolated to some extent. And the long-standing effect that's going to have on our mental health is real. And I think that, obviously, all the thoughts that I have on, on training about it being, you know, shorter and engaging and interactive and all that apply. But in terms of the messaging, 
I think it's, you know, the most important thing that a company can do right now is make sure that everyone in their company is doing, you know, whatever counts right now is okay. Yeah, well, no doubt. Peter, this has been a pleasure and always a fun conversation talking with you. And, uh, and I hope we kind of spurred some new ideas with the audience out there in terms of what they can be thinking about in the program. So thank you for uh, joining me out on the pond today. Thanks for having me. Vince. Our, my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Walden Pond podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review.